When Melanie Brown was two years old, she had a significant stroke, so she did not choose an overcomer attitude as a child, but her parents instilled it in her. They did not allow her to use her left-sided weakness, lack of coordination, and balance issues as an excuse. Melanie's story is one you do not want to miss, and it is going to encourage you no matter what. Okay. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Melanie Brown is my guest today on Never Ever Give Up Hope. She is an author, a speaker, and host of the podcast, Challenges Won't Stop Me. I love that title. Welcome, Melanie. Hey, Carol. I am so excited about spending time with you today. Well, I'm excited about hearing your story. Even that short intro that I gave, I know, is just a smidgen of what you are going to share today. But let's start at the beginning. Now, the note that I have here says decades of neurological struggles and brain surgery tried to stop Melanie, but she chose to fight to overcome instead. Learning everything those challenges were meant to teach her and grow in her, Melanie desires to encourage, inspire, and motivate women to fight to overcome any challenges intersecting their paths. Wow, what a mission. So that's your mission. Now let's start from the beginning and let's talk about your story. Please share it. Absolutely. Happy to do so. When I was two years old, I had a stroke on the left side of my body. It paralyzed the left side, completely freaked my parents out who were in their early 20s because they didn't know what to do with me. Uh, not just my parents, but the doctors, the neurologists, n nobody knew what to do with me because at that time in 1972, huh. people who had strokes were 65 years and older. Right. And so I didn't fit in any kind of box and therefore they really didn't know what to do with me nor what to even tell my parents and explain why it happened, which I'm, I still think back huh. about all the uh, years of my childhood and how my parents treated me and the, the fact that it was an unknown to them and uh -huh. they didn't have much information. They were rock stars. They would not, uh. let, they would not let me uh, use it as an excuse like you uh, mentioned in the intro. I was expected to try everything that a, a non-neurologically disabled child uh -huh. should do. That included sports, that included learning how to ride a bicycle, all of the things that make up childhood. Uh, I did them. Uh, they were interestingly wow. funny most times because of my lack of coordination and balance. Took me till I was about 10 years old to learn how to ride a bike and huh. It was quite wobbly, and probably to somebody watching, it was probably painful to watch because <laughs> I fell a whole lot of times, and I just got back up and tried it again, and finally something clicked in my brain that said, okay, we're balancing. Let's do this. Wow. Uh, with 
the sports, I played various different sports and it was always challenging, but I'm glad because those sports, those activities, running, uh, bouncing a basketball with my left hand, all of those things were hard, but they strengthened my left side. And I'm grateful for that. So if we skip ahead to my late 20s, I started having migraines. And those who've had migraines know what I'm talking about. It's, uh-huh. it's extremely painful and debilitating. But mine were not just once every 90 days or something like that, which is bad enough as it is. But mine were about two or three a week. And it would always send me to the bed for multiple days. Thank goodness for my wonderful husband who took care of me, took care of our boys, fed them, helped them with their homework, made sure they got to school on time, all of the things. Hmm. And that lasted about 10 years. Wow. So migraines, again, are neurological. And I am, this whole period of 10 years, I'm going to my neurologist and saying, there, there's some kind of connection here. I, I know there has to be a connection. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not trying uh-huh. to tell you what to do, but it just makes sense to me that if I had a stroke, which is a neurological encounter, and then now I'm having these migraines, which is also neurological, that there has to be some sort of connection. And and they repeatedly said, no, Miss Brown, you're, you're doing really well. And, and I was in my head, I'm thinking, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> you, you don't see what happens at home. You don't see how this is hugely, hugely impacting my life and my marriage and my kids and my family. You, you don't understand. Finally, after about the 10th year, we had some, uh, I guess, regular medications combined with supplements that worked enough where migraines weren't dictating my Mm, life. Wonderful. Um, And just as that happened, I started having mini strokes. And a mini stroke is a scary thing because you're feeling a lot of the weakness and the disoriented feelings and all the things associated with a stroke, but it's not as significant. And so they call it a mini stroke. In fact, it doesn't even show up on an MRI. So if you rush to the hospital, which I did several times, and by the time they get you into the MRI machine, there's nothing there because a mini stroke is that, that clotting of your blood vessels in your blood, but it releases very quickly so that it doesn't make a permanent mark on your brain. So I had three of the, I had three of those. And finally I said, the neurologist that I have been seeing for all of these years still again, weren't concerned. Oh, you now have many strokes. Mm, Yeah. There has to be a connection here. No, Miss Brown, you're doing you're doing really well. <laughs> and finally, I went to a different neurologist, and he said, "Wow, this is incredible. You have been through some difficult circumstances." And I said, "Thank you, thank you for acknowledging right, right. What I have gone through." And he changed some medications, and he said, "If you have one more mini stroke." we're going to have to talk to the neurosurgeon. Now, that's a scary word. No kidding. That is a scary word. So I made it 15 months without having another mini stroke. And then I had one and my, my arms shook as I'm calling the neurologist and telling him that I, I've had another mini stroke. And he said, okay, well, let's get you an appointment. They scheduled an angiogram of my brain. Usually, angiograms are of your heart. Right. But mine went all the way to my brain. And within 20 minutes, they were finished. When my neurologist came back, he said, yes, there is definitely something going on. 
and it explains what has been happening to you essentially your entire life. I was five years old at this point. So my first neurological incident was when I was two, when I finally was given confirmation that yes, there is something going on. We see it in your scans. I said, okay, so what is this? What, what is going on? What has caused the, all of these uh-huh. years of struggle? And the neurologist said, it is a rare progressive disease. It's, it's a cerebro meaning brain, but vascular meaning blood disease. And the three characteristics of it are strokes, mini strokes, and migraines. And I said, well, me, I've, I've met all three. And he kind of laughed and he said, yeah, you're quite the overachiever. And I said, yeah, that's been said of me a few times. I said, what do we do about this? And he said, well, you're not really going to like this. And I said, well, I'm already talking to a neurosurgeon, so I'm uh-huh. assuming that uh-huh. it means brain surgery. And he said, yeah, that is definitely where we're heading. Now, I have to tell you, Carol, that up to this point, I've gone through 43 years of, of challenges. And when you have neurological challenges, some of it can be seen by other people. Like your hand might kind of curl up a little bit. You might um, favor one side, which I definitely favor my left side. But a lot of what happens during a stroke or a mini stroke or migraines is, is in your head, right? I can right. feel it. I can explain it to someone, but they can't see it. It's not like a broken arm. It's, it's uh-huh. the whole thing that's been going around for, for several years about invisible illnesses. It is an invisible illness in a right. sense. Um, so the angiogram, while it was scary learning that, yes, there was uh, definitely something going on, it, it at least validated that I, I wasn't crazy because there were, there were honestly times in my journey that I would be lying in bed and I would think, am I making this up? Is this as serious as I feel like it is? If, if my neurologist is telling me you're fine, but I don't feel fine, are they right and I'm wrong? So I'm, I'm, I'm relieved tremendously to know that there is something going on. And so my rare progressive cerebrovascular disease is called Moya Moya, M-O-Y-A, M-O-Y-A. And interestingly, it was discovered in Asia in 1969, and I had my stroke in 1972, so it had not traveled over to the United States yet because it originated as an Asian disease. Now, I'm a white girl, blue-eyed. I am (laughs) not Asian, so I don't fit in that box either. So it's been a very interesting journey, to say the least. One thing that I appreciated was the clarity that you just gave us to understanding this situation. And as rare as it is, we do not have a clue of who might be able to relate. And so I really appreciate you going into um, sharing those details with us. Now, one of the questions that I have is during this journey, did fear play a part in your life, whether it was you personally or your parents? And how did they or you cope with that? I I really kind of just want to laugh because, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, If anyone knows anything about a stroke, first of all, it's debilitating, but there are strokes that kill you. You have the stroke and you don't make it to the hospital in time before you die because you need certain treatments in order to hopefully prevent you from dying. And even sometimes with those treatments, the person still dies after a a massive stroke. And so with everything that happened and not knowing that fear of the unknown is a real thing. It is a real thing because I, I instinctively knew that there was a connection it's, and I even mentioned it to my, my neurologist numerous times. And I, I kept thinking, if we don't do something, I could die. 
I have children. I have a husband. I, I have, I, 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 at the time I was a teacher, uh, and I didn't want to like not be there for my students. The fear factor was huge. If you think about my parents, definitely, and they've talked about it, uh, about how when they brought me home, they were like, they, she's fragile and, and how do we take care of her? And what if we do something that, that causes another stroke? Because they didn't know anything. And the, and the neurologist, unfortunately, didn't know what to tell them because I didn't meet the criteria for a stroke patient. I, I wasn't smoking. I, I wasn't uh, obese. I wasn't unhealthy. I was two years old. And my right, parents right. definitely uh, felt fear. Uh, I had to have several EEGs where they, they put the little probes on your head to track your brain waves. And I remember having to do that in middle school. And first of all, that is just weird for a middle school student right. to have to do that. And, you know, when you get checked out of school and the kids are all going, where are you going? Where are you going? And I'm, I didn't want to tell them because I'm thinking, right. this is just strange. And mm-hmm. they're going to look at my brain waves and what are they going to see? And it was just all of that was very uncomfortable and fearful. And what are they going to do with that information? I had to have one right before an EEG had to have one right before I got my driver's license because they wanted to make sure that right. I, I guess I wasn't mm-hmm. going to have another one. But how, how do you see that in somebody's brainwaves? Exactly. So I was afraid I wasn't going to get to drive. And I know that may sound like no big deal, but to a 16 year old kid, that's a big deal when all your Absolutely. friends are out driving and yes. then, then you would have to explain, uh, sorry, I, I can't drive. You're going to have to drive me everywhere. And then how would that impact the rest of your life if you're not allowed to drive? So there've been plenty of times. Uh, I will tell you that there was a great deal of fear leading up to my brain surgery. So once I was diagnosed at age 45, that was in January, by March, we had scheduled my brain surgery. And that that period of time in between, the fear, of course, tried to sneak in frequently, uh, especially well-meaning friends. How do you feel about this? What if you die? I mean, uh-huh. okay, as a friend, don't ask me that question. <laughs> That just brings up a whole truckload of fear. Don't ask questions like that. Uh, So, yeah, there was a great deal of fear leading up to it. Uh, They, in the surgery, they took a blood vessel from right above my ear and replaced it in, in the healthy part of my brain that hadn't been receiving blood flow or oxygen my entire life. So the whole idea that they're going to be cutting into my brain and moving things around was a quite bit scary. But I have to say that my neurosurgeon, when I first met him, was a, a typical doctor that's, that's really brainy and you can tell. And he would have to explain things to me in, in very simple terms because, of course, he had all of these eloquent words to describe what he was about to do to my brain. And at first I, I thought, I, I don't think I can do this because he kind of scares me and I'm not sure about this. And as time went on, his bedside manner uh, showed itself and, and it was there all along. It's just, I didn't see it, I guess maybe uh-huh. because I, I was so overwhelmed with the, the news of you're going to have to have brain surgery. And so he actually was very calming to me leading up to having the surgery and then afterwards and throughout the years when I go for checkups. Dr. Caldy is an amazing neurosurgeon, but also great at calming fears and encouraging you and projecting great things for your future. So he helped a lot with my fears. What else helped? My family and friends loving on me and encouraging me, uh, my faith in God, it's definitely a combination of things. Uh, Fear is a bully. And if you listen to 
the lies and the what ifs and the doomsday predictions that fear wants to assure you will happen, uh, you're going to be a basket case. Um, but if you have strong people around you that love you and encourage you and support you and let you talk about it very openly. And then for me, my faith was tremendous uh, help in all of that. And so when the surgery happened, which was seven and a half years ago, it was about four and a half hours long. That was a long time for my family and friends to to sit out and wait. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly, I was only in the hospital for three nights, and then by day 10, I was cleared to drive. Oh, really? Wow. That is crazy. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. And has everything been corrected, or what is the... Well, that's an interesting question. So, with with the movement of the blood vessel to the part of my brain that hadn't been receiving oxygen or blood flow my entire life, it definitely helped. Uh, the thing about Moya Moya is that it's progressive and brain surgery, and Dr. Caldy told me this up front, please understand the brain, the brain surgery can help slow the progression. On occasions, it can stop it but there's no telling which one will happen for you. So far, after seven and a half years, I have not progressed. Uh, I have some friends in the Moya Moya community, and they've had multiple brain surgeries. And I am so grateful to only have had one. Wow. Yes. And as far as my health, uh, I still have migraines. I take a shot uh, once a month to help prevent those, and it works pretty effectively. I haven't had any mini strokes or strokes. I had a, a few very, very mini strokes. They were, they were very tiny uh, right after my surgery, and it kind of freaked me out. I was like, wait a minute. I thought we were, like, supposed to prevent this with the surgery. And Dr. Caldy said, you, you've got to give your blood vessel that I moved time to grow. Hmm. It, it's not just going to, like, do this amazing job. All of a sudden, it's, it's got to grow. And so I had a few, and I haven't had any since then. So I, I as Dr. Caldy says, I am a huge success case, uh, and I am thrilled with that. Well, that is, again, I really, I'm glad I asked you that question, and I really appreciate how you clarified, even as I'm listening to you, wondering you know what happened and so you you gave us a lot to think about because there are a lot of people out there who suffer in with strokes and migraines etc and it we just need to hear people like you who have this kind of attitude and also have a good ending to their incredible story i know this isn't the ending this is basically yeah. probably was your beginning well, it, it definitely gave a new sense of life. Yes, uh, yes. There is a lot to be said for knowing the name of what troubles you, your mind, your body, your emotions, Good point. what have you. It empowered me to know that I knew my body well enough to know that I had had all of these things happening to me. And I knew that there was a reason. And so once... Once the reason was revealed and the treatment was given, albeit a scary, scary one. Trust me, even saying the word brain surgery now is still a hard phrase for me to say because I, I think about many, many years ago, you would you would see, I guess, documentaries or medical TV shows about people having brain surgery and the outcome of, of who they would be and what they would look like and how their life yes, was. And, yes. And my my well-meaning friend that that asked the question, "What if you die?" And and I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, if I die, I won't really care. Number one, <laughs> and number two, dying is a lot less of a concern than than being a burden to my family because. Good point. It worked. 
but I'm not right. I'm not right. Like it messed, messed it up, I guess, maybe uh-huh. in a further way. Uh-huh. The other option though, Carol, was not to do anything and just wait for okay. right. a, a stroke. Right. right. And then they would do it. And I'm, and I'm thinking, mm, no, mm-mm. we've been doing this for 43 years. Uh-huh. I, I'm not just going to sit around and wait. And what they explained about the people who have Moya Moya, what they found in all of these years since discovering it is that most of the people with Moya Moya that have a stroke that haven't had brain surgery, the stroke doesn't kill them. It just makes them incapacitated. And, and I'm thinking that is definitely not an option. I do not want that to happen. I do not want to be a burden to my family. I don't want to be trapped in my body because while it has impacted my thinking and quite possibly my intelligence and, and things like that, I don't want to, that's not any kind of life, not at all. And that's not, not where you all. live. That's not where you live either. No. You choose not to. Correct. One of the things that you said that I absolutely loved, and that is, fear is a bully. Stop listening to its lies. Yes. How many people are in prison, mental prison, physical prison, because of fear? Now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to you about what you're doing now. I'm excited to hear not only about your book, but also about your podcast and how you are making inroads into helping women all over the world. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com been speaking with Melanie Brown this morning and her incredible story that is definitely one of overcoming and tenacity and it's just so exciting to have you here Melanie and how you are so clear in sharing all aspects of your story including the fear that you had to go through and your family and I really tapped into that as well so I I appreciate that you being honest and raw and now we're going to talk about how you have been making an impact in other women's lives both through your book and your podcast so let's continue you said that you have interviewed over 135 courageous women who have fought to overcome a wide range of challenges my first question to you in this part is can you give us some examples oh absolutely I love talking about the women that I have interviewed over the years. And yeah, it's it's closer to about 150 at this point. There are so many people out there in our world who have faced challenges. And my kind of, I guess I have a, a, a um, sorting system and, and it's kind of brutal in a sense that I feel like when we face challenges, we really have two ways of responding. We can either live in defeat and woe is me. My life is never going to be the same. I I don't have any purpose anymore. Or we can fight to overcome. And that doesn't mean that you say it's not hard. It's, it's right. not that you have this, this grandiose, oh, this is just so easy. And I'm just so glad that I've been challenged by this because it's going to help me grow. All those things are true about growing and that it's going to help you, but you're not necessarily going to have this kind of uh, rose-colored glasses view of it. You know it's going to be hard. You know it's going to challenge you. You know that there's going to be periods, just like my, my 10 years of debilitating migraines, that was a dark period uh-huh, uh-huh. in my life. And, and 
literally and figuratively. Uh, I, I would crawl under the covers and get it as dark as possible in our bedroom and the sound and the noise and all of that I was trying to avoid because it was just overwhelming to my neurological system. But it was it was hard. But I grew during that time. And I knew that I didn't like what was happening to me. I wasn't going to let it define me as, oh, she's the girl that always has the migraines that never shows up to anything. She cancels on the last minute because she has a migraine. I didn't want to be that girl. Right, right, of uh, course. I, I, wanted, I wanted to be someone who had gone through some stuff and, and learned from it and continued on. I, I kept moving forward because I believe that I still had purpose. I still had value. I still could contribute. And therefore, the kind of people that I interview don't choose to live in defeat. They, they fight to overcome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, it's not that I don't like the people right, that live are. in defeat. That they, they hurt my heart. And I want to yes. help them. I, yes. I want to equip and empower them, which is why I wrote my two books. But the women that I've interviewed, um, they have that, that never give up attitude, which is the name of your podcast. It may be hard. Because sometimes whatever we go through, if, it, if it's not a health issue like mine, maybe it's um, divorce or um, they have a, a child who is just mm -hmm. acting out and it's just crushing their heart. And like, but during those times are opportunities for us to learn and to grow and to learn perseverance. Perseverance is not something that you just do. You, you have to learn it through going through something hard and you have to say, yeah. I'm going to stick with this. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get better. And so those are the kind of women that, that I interview. Asking to tell about them, I'm, I'm having to, in my mind, choose. And it's kind of like the parent that says, I, I like all of my kids, all five <laughs> of my kids. I like them all the same. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a few examples, but just know that I have many, many others that are equally as amazing. Okay. Uh, I have interviewed two Holocaust survivors. I interviewed Miss Helen. Uh, she was in Auschwitz. I interviewed her in her apartment, sat almost knee to knee with her, which was unbelievable. I got out to my car, called my husband and said, I finished. And then I sat there for 20 minutes and cried. Yes, yes. Because it relate. was so yes. incredibly impactful. Oh, my goodness. Uh, she has since passed away. The other Holocaust survivor that I've interviewed, her name is Miss Eva, and she was in the Warsaw Ghetto. And quite an incredible story. My family, my husband and son, and I vacationed. Uh, where she lives last summer, summer before last, excuse me. And I called her and asked her if I could come and take her to dinner. And she said, no, I want you to come and eat at my house. And so my husband and my younger son and I, we had a Hungarian feast at her home. Aww. And Miss Eva is, who she is amazing. Amazing. Uh, I have interviewed... A, a girl from Atlanta, which is my hometown, when she was 16, and this kind of dates her, but I was, I'm older than her, so it still dates me as well. Uh, she had had a difficult childhood and ran away from home and knew that she needed to get a job. So she looked at the help wanted ads in the newspaper, which is the part that dates her. And discovered a job that she felt like with her limited skills she could do. So she called called the number and they invited her to an address and said, we would like to interview you here. She arrived. The uh, gentleman opened the door, invited her in, slammed the door and locked it. And then three men raped her and kept her. So she was sex trafficked here in Atlanta. She was able to escape, but by the time that she had escaped, she had a tattoo that was a mark from her trafficker. 
She was addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, and just a complete mess. She, through the course of a couple of years, went through therapy, went through rehab so that she could get back to a healthy place. And once she did, she saw a show, those reality TV shows about cover-up on tattoos. And she's watching the show, and she's thinking about the tattoo that she had from her trafficker. And she sees it in the, in the mirror every day, and it, and it brings back right, all of those of horrific memories. And she called a friend and she was describing the show and she said, I want to get a cover up on, on my tattoo, but I don't have the money because a cover up is more expensive because of how much more extra work they have to yes, do in order yes. to, to do it. And the friend said, I'll pay for it because I, I want that for you. Uh-uh. And it impacted her tremendously, so much so that she said, I want to do this for others. She started a nonprofit that is called Atlanta Redemption Inc. And she has helped over a thousand men and women cover their marks of hurt with marks of hope. Oh, I love that. Isn't that amazing? Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. It is amazing. She is just firecracker. I mean, she is just out there and she is, is helping People who have gone through this, whether it's sex trafficking or being in a gang and having those those types of tattoos, um, getting tattoos in prison that represent maybe what they did, um, even people that that are cutters, she helps them to get tattoos. Interesting. It is yes. it is just yes. a beautiful thing that she does, and I, I guess what has been so uh, meaningful to me is I meet these women and uh, hear their stories, I make a very intentional effort to stay in contact with them because I'm just amazed by them. and And I love hearing how their stories progress. But even yesterday, I had a friend who is not one of the people that I've interviewed call and tell me about a recent diagnosis. And, and she shared about being scared, being fearful and I said, I just, I, I'm, I'm getting these kind of feelies of, oh my goodness, I have an overcomer that has gone through exactly what you have gone through. And yeah, she, isn't that awesome? Wow. She um, is 10 years, which for this particular situation, being 10 years past her challenge is huge. It's huge. And so yesterday, I, I said to my friend, I'm going to connect the two of you. And she said, really? And I said, yes, that is one of the most beautiful parts of having the podcast and interviewing all of these women is that we're a family and we want to help each other. And that that includes people that aren't necessarily part of the overcomer family, but are struggling. And they, they need support or asking questions or praying with them or whatever. And I'm just excited to see what happens as a result. You have no idea how much I'm relating to that as you're sharing it. We've done, I think, about 500 interviews now. And each one of them, as as I'm sure you are aware, need to meet a certain criteria. And that criteria yes. is exactly what we just said. Never giving up no matter what you've been dealt. And the stories, I, I relate when you said you get in your car and you just sit there and you, you, you can't even move, but the tears are flowing. Just yes. to have met this person, the privilege of meeting these people who have gone through so much, endured so much, and have such an incredible, incredible attitude so yes i thank you for being on never ever give up hope even for that reason alone so now let's talk about your book i love the title challenges won't stop me an interactive survival guide for overcoming and i also see that you have written another book so tell us about them please yes so challenges won't stop me and the new book is called keep moving forward are a two-part interactive survival guide for overcoming and thriving. I love the mountains. I love hiking. In our in our younger years, my husband and I would go on 
an overnight, possibly even three or four overnight uh, camping trip, hiking trip, backpacking trip, and sleep out in the woods. Mm, not so much anymore. I'm not about to sleep out in the woods, especially with snakes and bugs and such. Uh, but but I absolutely love hiking. And over the years, the comparisons of going on a hike and the, the different things that you encounter and the challenges that present themselves as you journey are so much a one-to-one with what we go through when we are facing a challenge. And so that's where it started. In book one, I take the reader on a journey and we start at mile marker zero, zero, instead of chapter one. And the reason I do that is because we're going on a journey and Mm, this this is intended to replicate what happens when you are on a hiking trip. And so mile zero, zero is where I introduce how the book is gonna work and the way that it's going to work is presented on a trail sign and it's called trail etiquette and instructions the reason that this book these two books are interactive is because as a teacher i know the value of actively reading and Uh participating rather than just reading it and it, it just going in one ear and out the other and there, there's no outcome. There's no impact. And, and I'm not about that. Uh, I've, I've been through too much. You've exactly. been through too much. Yes. If I'm going to read something that is, is promising to be a survival guide for overcoming and thriving, then, you know, I want to get something out of it. That's, that was my thinking when I'm, I'm writing it. And so in mile one, I introduced the readers to essential gear. And so Mile one through mile eight of the first book, Challenges Won't Stop Me, at each mile marker, you are introduced to an essential piece of gear. And the essential gear is represented by something that has to do with hiking or being on a journey kind of thing. So mile one is a rope. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't really sound like I'm going to survive with a rope necessarily. (laughs) And how am I going to overcome and thrive with a rope? Well, hang with me here. And I present black and white visual images of each of these pieces of essential gear. Because as a teacher, especially as a special ed teacher, I know that connecting Uh. what you're learning with a visual image helps you to remember it significantly better. Then additionally, I asked the reader to color those. And that just adds layers and layers of hmm, stickiness. Interesting. And several friends have said, I didn't really want to color, but you're my friend and I really wanted to follow what you suggested, so I did it. And I said, well, what's the outcome? <laughs> it works. It works. Oh my gosh, it works. I can remember it. And so then I test them. Okay, so tell me what a rope does. And so then they tell me. And um, it, it sounds a little like maybe you're going back to school because here I am telling you you need to uh-huh. do interactive learning and, and I'm giving you black and white pictures and I'm asking you to color. But I promise you that as an adult, we still need all those things in order to really learn something. There's three purposes for a rope. Opposition and resistance, that's one. Dragging, which is the second. So if I stop there, you might possibly be saying, okay, I'm not really sure where this is heading, but opposition and resistance and dragging are all challenges of their own. Yes. But the third purpose of the rope is lifting. That can help us when we're going through our challenges, especially God can sometimes completely just lift you right out of your struggle. Now, Carol, I'll tell you, that hadn't happened to me yet, (laughs) but I know it happens. But the lifting is not necessarily lifting you out of your struggles. It could be that God lifts you to himself because that's where you get through your struggle. Yes. The rope has this kind of interesting 
connection. You know, we've, we've got the, the challenges of opposition and resistance and dragging, but we also have it connected to the lifting part, which is beautiful. So then the next mile we go into the tent. Well, we know that the world, when we're going through a challenge, is I'll, I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. Here's your refuge. While sometimes it's decent, most times it's flimsy and not helpful and it's not very protective. However, if we choose God's tent, it's true safety, true protection, and true refuge. We are, as the, the rope did, we're, we're getting close to him by, by retreating and running to his tent. Because that's where we gain our courage and our strength to, to fight to overcome. That is so interesting and I love the word pictures that you are painting. All of us who are listening, we definitely need and want to get a hold of that book. I I was relating to every aspect of what you were saying and I'm not even a camper or a hiker or a jogger or any of those, but it just <laughs> you okay. know, it made so much sense. So yes, we definitely each of us need to have a look at your book and that is available I'm assuming on Amazon and every other place that books are yes. sold okay yes. and that is entitled challenges won't stop me I still just love that title and of course it's the same title as your podcast so yes listeners can listen to podcasts and the incredible stories even the ones that you shared today I know that many people will relate and you know it's amazing too and I know that you know this from your own experience that very often we relate to things that nobody that somebody spoke in a book or a podcast that nobody else knew about us and it was like it was said or written just for you and I think that that's part of the relatable content that you do have and I appreciate that so well, I, I appreciate you saying that very much so in conclusion, we've, we've gone through your story and, of course, um, how you are helping people. Is there anything that you want to say that, whether it's a word of encouragement or a challenge to the audience today? Well, if, if it's okay, I'd like to talk just very quickly about the Keep Moving Forward book, which was just released oh, yes, please. Uh, recently. Please. The Challenges Won't Stop Me leaves off at mile eight. That keep moving forward picks up at mile nine and we talk about some common encounters meaning things that most of us are going to go through you might not very likely won't have a challenge like mine uh, you might have a different type of health challenge or you you might um, have difficulties with a, a relationship um, but the challenges that we talk about and keep moving forward are some that most assuredly, you will go through at some point in your life, hmm. and, and those being the refining fires. Oh, wow. We, we all go through, which is what you talked about a little earlier, about having fears and enemies as well. And we might think, well, we don't have enemies. I assure you, you do. I assure you, you do. <laughs> and so how do, we, how do we get through those challenges? So I continue to use visual images. They're just not essential pieces of gear. They're still all related to that 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 hiking journey kind of theme. Uh, one of the chapters, Miles, that I have had a lot of comments on is the ones about, have you noticed the gifts scattered along the difficult parts of your journey? Because that's a challenge. Are we paying attention so much to the challenges yes. and getting caught up in them and oh my gosh this is impacting me so much that you don't even notice all the amazing things that are also happening that are gifts and so this this book uh takes you through miles 9 through 16 and again it's interactive and again you have the visual images and coloring and so I'm hoping that as the, the two books together will help equip and empower those who read it, that no matter what challenge intersects your path, e either kindly or rudely, which most often it's rudely, um, 
that you, you feel like you can fight to overcome because just giving up in defeat, you're missing out on life. You're missing out on purpose and impact. And I don't think that's what God calls us to. He calls us to a life of abundance and that's right. that we are supposed to be there for others and share our gifts. And we can't do that if we're living in defeat. Amen to that. So one of the other things that I've done is I have the Journey On Quiz, and it's just journeyonquiz.com. It is a short 20-question quiz that as you answer the questions, it helps identify what type of personality you have when it comes to facing challenges. Hmm. The people that have taken it uh, have shared that it's been very interesting to see what kind of personality they have. Sometimes they completely agree with it. And then other times they're like, I just don't agree with that at all. And most often a friend or a spouse or someone will go, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hundred percent right. <laughs> so it's been real interesting for those who have taken the quiz. Now my books can also be purchased on my website and the benefit to purchasing them there is that I will sign them. And so right now, each book is $15, but if you buy the books together in the book bundle, it's 25 All right. Well, I'm glad that you shared that, that as well. And all of these links, etc., will be on um, the webpage that I create for you so that we can connect with you, listen to your story, and certainly... Um, Take a look at your books and the quiz and everything else that you have offered today. I sincerely appreciate not only your story, but what, how you have shared it. You are somebody that I want to be friends with. And, that, <laughs> and this is, I believe, what a lot of people are going to be feeling. The way you presented your story, the challenges that you gave us, and just your attitude is a magnet. And well, I appreciate that, Carol. Thank you. And I I would love to continue to be friends. All uh, right. It's a date. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, again, I thank you, Melanie, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. This is the beginning of a new relationship with our audience, and I trust that they were encouraged, inspired, challenged, motivated, and we will definitely be sharing this worldwide. Thank you so much. Thank you, Carol. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.